Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Well, good morning. The theme for the 2022 Southern Baptist Convention in Anaheim, California, is Jesus the center of it all. I think the gospel above all has been an amazing theme for our convention. But we can say the gospel's above all, but the real core question is, is Jesus the center of it all? If you would open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, the title of the message this morning is Jesus the center of it all. Joy is a powerful theme in the book of Philippians. But joy is not the point of the book of Philippians. What produces joy is the point. The church at Philippi had a contagious joy. What caused that? What what causes that in the church today? And there's many answers we could find. Healthy relationships, gospel partnerships, praying discipleship. Chapter 1 of the book of Philippians, Paul covers these things wonderfully. But we're going to look a little closer at a passage where Paul becomes very self-revealing. You see, Paul was a man who understood the power of pain. Physical pain, spiritual pain, emotional pain. Now, let me say something about pain. Most common sense people avoid it. You can avoid pain. You can deny pain. You can medicate pain. But in fact, Paul embraced pain and discovered that the secret of embracing pain in Christ is joy. We are a convention of churches. And it seems to me that we are avoiding pain, denying pain, sometimes medicating pain. Our refusal to embrace pain is hurting us, and I'm going to tell you why. Because our greatest evangelistic opportunity is found in pain and suffering. Somehow we have become prosperous. God's blessing through the years has blessed us as churches. He's blessed us as a denomination. Our institutions, like this great school, have been blessed. But sometimes blessings are deceptive to us. The further we get away from a hurting world... The further we drift from people in serious pain, the more out of touch we are with our own struggles really hinders the gospel of Jesus Christ. How is this? Well, it separates us from hurting people. Pain is our credibility to a lost world. They frankly don't care how many degrees you earn. They don't care what you know about Old Testament or New Testament. They want to know, do you care? Our churches languish from isolation from pain. We languish from insulation from suffering and separation from a hurting and dying world. The gospel exposes you. It exposes you to real pain and real suffering and real difficulty, which is right where Jesus is always found. Paul understood this, writing from prison Read with me in chapter 1 of Philippians, beginning in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? The modern Hebrew would be oivech. What now? What, what does this mean? What then, Paul says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now and always Christ will be honored in my body whether by my death whether by life or by my death in verse 21 for me to live is Christ and to die is gain what is the clear message of this passage the clear message is Jesus is the center of Paul's life and we need Jesus to be the center of this school. We need Christ to be the center of our convention of churches. We need Christ to be the center of our preaching. Paul is tethered to, chained to a Roman guard as he writes this, as he dictates this. He is awaiting trial for a capital crime. He's under pressure from secular authorities and he's being abused by fellow Christians. Not exactly what you think makes up a joyful life. But Paul says, I rejoice. Now what this passage teaches us are three very powerful and surprising truths. I would encourage you to write them down. Here's the first thing, beginning in verse 12. He says, problems become platforms. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all of the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, I want you to know what's going on with me, because I know you're praying for me. Now notice what's absent from this passage. He is not talking about the hard things in his life, trying to incite pity from those he's writing. This is not a fundraising letter. <laughs> Get me out of jail. So let me ask you something. How do you talk about your painful circumstances? It's natural to want people's sympathy. It's natural to want people's pity. When my wife passed away 14 years ago, I could see it, Danny, in the faces of my fellow pastors. They would look at me, and I know what was going on in their heads, I could see it in their eyes, amazing empathy. But I also knew that some of that empathy was because they asked themselves a question. The question was, what if this were happening to me? And their worst nightmare standing in front of them in me, and I could see the empathy in their eyes. Well, that's faded away in the last 14 years. But since I became president of the Baptist Convention, I see that same look in pastors' faces today. <laughs> 
So how do you talk about your circumstances? The word here in the Greek is the word to advance, to further. It's used in 1 Timothy 4.15 when Paul says in this passage, this is actually for the advancement of the gospel. It's the same word that says that the gospel is advanced through the public reading of Scripture. Your spiritual life is enhanced and advances through the reading of God's words. And Paul gives us two proofs. He gives us two pieces of evidence. He says, first of all, look at verse 13. He says, among the pagans. He said, it's also known throughout the whole imperial guard. The imperial guard was an amazing group. About 9,000 people made up the imperial guard. They were Caesar's own personal elite hand-picked soldiers. They were the Navy SEALs, the Green Berets, the special forces of their day. They had a fully funded pension plan. They were paid double what the normal soldier was paid. This was the job to have. And now they are doing special deeds on behalf of Caesar, which required that they be chained to Paul. Paul was loving it. Because I don't know how often they changed guards there for the Imperial Guard. At Arlington Cemetery, they change every hour. In London, for the Queen, uh, it's a different, more scattered idea, but they change multiple times throughout the day. But however many times they were, Paul made sure he continued to preach the gospel. These men were now coming under the influence of the gospel. And we'll see by the end of this passage in Philippians 4.22, the end of the book, all the saints greet you, especially those from Caesar's household. This is clearly a linkage on his imprisonment advancing the gospel. Have you ever thought that the most painful thing in your life could be what God has designed to advance his gospel? Or are you running from it? There's a second evidence here. It's not only that among pagans, but he said among believers. Verse 14, most of the brothers, now notice he doesn't say all. He said, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Sharing Jesus without fear is a powerful freedom. It is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Don't think there's a place where you will arise so muscular as a saint of God that you will boldly share the gospel at all times and all places. It is not your flesh that boldly shares the gospel. It is the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Learn to lean on the Holy Spirit. Pull on the Holy Spirit. And to realize something that, yes, it's okay to be afraid. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is the presence of the very Spirit of Jesus Christ living inside of you. And Lord, when I don't feel like sharing, Lord, when I don't want to share, Lord, when I'm tired of flying all over the place and the person sitting next to me, I, I, I don't want to share with them. It's there that I call on the Holy Spirit of God to give me grace and boldness. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. It's not a sin to be afraid. But we can call on the power of the Holy Spirit no matter what difficulty we're in. In 1956, Life magazine covered a story of five young men who were martyred among the Aka Indians. You know the story well. But the Life magazine story stirred an amazing response, even among American evangelicals. People were writing back to Life magazine saying, we shouldn't be sending our finest to places like this. If these people don't want the gospel, then they don't need the gospel. And people started backing away because of the martyrdom of men like Nate Saint, and Jim Elliot, but Jim Elliot, shortly before his martyrdom, said this, 
You know this passage, this statement. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Friend, the gospel may certainly cost you your life, but God is glorified. We have seen people emboldened by the sacrifice of those five men. We've seen movements of God for their generation to call out people to go to the hardest places on the planet. And I'm going to tell you something that really excites me, Danny. I see that same spirit in this generation that I'm staring at right now. People willing to go to the nations. I was at IMB last week for a special service of commissioning 23 people. Only three of them could have their pictures taken at the meeting because the rest of them were going to places where they cannot tell them why they're there. That's the same spirit Paul's talking about. Suffering and persecution and difficulty do not stop the true servant of God. They empower. There were those, not all, but there were those among Paul who were emboldened by the fact that he was in jail and he was there for a purpose. They knew there was a reason for his suffering. Problems become platforms. Could, could it be that your grief could become a platform for the gospel? Could it be that your handicap, your struggle, your sin struggle, your reputation could be a platform. That thing you suffered that has held you in shame for so long, could it be that God has purposed for that to be a platform of ministry to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? The problem becomes a platform. Here's the second thing Paul shows us. By embracing this gospel, he said opposition becomes opportunity. Are you getting any opposition in life? Look what he says in verse 15. Paul reveals that what joy does to our perspective when Jesus is the center of our life. Verse 15, he says, But indeed, some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of a good will. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I was put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. These are brothers. What then, Paul says? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will say it again. I rejoice. Now here's an, un, here's an ugly reality of modern Christianity. Turns out it's as old as Christianity. That Christians sometimes, and pastors and preachers will sometimes preach out of envy. Self-serving ambition, that word envy, means to desire something that you don't possess, what someone else possesses, to achieve something else, something beyond where you're at. It's desiring another brother's position. It's, it's desiring his church. Envy creeps in and tempts all of us. The Greek historian Xenophon said that the envious are those annoyed only at their friends' successes. Envy raised its ugly head when crisis came upon the Roman church when Paul showed up. The status quo was doing okay. Paul got there. He was met by the brethren, but not all the brethren were happy. Envy that Paul was in town. Envy that, the, that, that Paul had preached the gospel in more places than anyone else. Envy that people wanted to hear Paul. Envy that people saw him as wiser, more gospel-focused than anyone else. 
And so while other brothers are being emboldened to preach the gospel, some of the brothers were preaching out of envy for Paul. Maybe they were thinking, I will be the next Paul since he's going off the scene now. We know from Corinth that Paul was not impressive to look at, and we know from Corinth that Paul was probably not impressive to listen to. Not quite like Apollos was. Yet Paul possesses the power of God with amazing skill to depend upon the gospel. And Paul took the gospel more places than anyone else. Than anyone else. The desire to grow the gospel. Now, I want you to hear me carefully because I'm puzzled by these guys. The desire to grow the gospel was in these men's hearts. I'm talking about the envious ones. Their core desire wasn't evil. It was good. Oswald Chambers said that temptation is a suggested shortcut to the realization of the highest at which I aim. Not towards what I understand as evil, but towards what I understand as good. You see, a brother in Christ can become envious of another and begin to preach in such a way that he criticizes or maybe attacks the other. Some full of envy saw Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity. Verse 17 says, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in imprisonment. This word afflict means to stir up an inward annoyance, to afflict Paul in jail, and they didn't have Twitter. It's amazing what we do to one another. So what was Paul's attitude? Well, he can get his own Twitter account. He can fight back. But look what it says in verse 18. What then? Paul's asking himself a question that you need to ask yourself when someone in the church criticizes you, when someone in the association criticizes you, when someone in the convention criticizes you, when you become unintentionally famous for a fault or a failure or a heresy that people proclaim is a heresy or a sin in your life. So what does he do? Paul says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. So how do you rejoice when brothers attack you? The simple answer, Jesus is the center of it all. If Christ is the center of it all, we can rejoice even when brothers attack. Did Jesus ever suffer such uh, attacks from enemies? Yes. And from friends? Yes. 1 Peter 2.23 tells us something very important about this issue. He says, when he, Christ, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So how do you handle when brothers attack? First of all, don't be shocked. Don't be shocked. Can I tell you that every one of us in life will face the refiner's fire, however it comes. And when it comes as an attack, here's Paul chained in prison. Here's Paul facing his own mortality again. But Paul goes back to the core of who he is. Jesus is the center of it all. If God is sovereign, then you can trust even the attack is not beyond his power. Somebody say amen. When my wife died in a car accident, I had a student ask me 
a seminary student. He said, did your view of God's sovereignty help you or hurt you when Tammy died? I said, yes. It utterly devastated me that God would let me hurt that bad, and he knew this before the foundation of the earth. That really ticked me off. As if I expected him to tell me. That wouldn't have helped. I would have denied him. I would have said, no way. I would have fought. But it was the greatest comfort of my life to know that this was not an accident. That God is sovereign. The devil wasn't winning the quarter. God always wins, and he is always in control. You see, Paul applies joy to his suffering at the very tip of the spear. Listen carefully. Viktor Frankl, who survived the Nazi death camp, said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude. If you pursue self, if you pursue happiness, not joy, joy in Christ, if you, if you will... If you pursue some ambition and you label it as godly, and it's a church, it's a church that's recognized, it's a position, it's respect, it's honor, it's, it's always doing the right things, never failing, and you are strident to make sure that happens in your life, I'm going to tell you something, you will end up bitter, not better. Those are high ambitions, and listen to me, I'm not saying go low, I'm saying go high. Because in our imperfection, in our brokenness, we will fail and we will have enemies and we will have opposition. But look how he handles them. I find this fascinating. Paul, by the way, if you think he's light, if you think Paul is soft on heresy, go read Galatians. Some of the hardest things I've ever read in Scripture. Things that we don't even want to repeat in a mixed company. But Paul tells the guys who were teaching the churches in that region that you had to be circumcised as a Jew before you could become a follower of Christ, he said, why don't you do more than circumcision? Why don't you emasculate yourselves? That's strong stuff. But those were clear heretics. These are brothers. So how do we handle brothers? You trust it to the Lord. You say, you know what? Christ is still being preached. And I can rejoice in that. I can have joy in that. Keep the gospel the main thing. Keep Jesus front and center of it all. I, I cry out to this convention of churches, make Jesus the center of it all again. Not your pet theology, not your, your gripe or your grind about some issue. Make Jesus the center of it all. Which leads to the third blessing in this, and that is death becomes defeated. There's three powerful and surprising things happen. Problems become platforms, opposition becomes opportunity, and death becomes defeated. Shouldn't you have said death is defeated? Well, death certainly is defeated at the empty tomb. But for me, working out this sanctification with fear and trembling, it has to become defeated in my life. Is death becoming defeated in your life? Look at verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, do a study on how often the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He said, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. There's no self-pity here. The highest priority of Paul's heart is to glorify Jesus Christ. His priority is Jesus above all, Jesus at the center of it all. What does Paul mean when he says this will work out for my deliverance? 
Well, it's really the tension all of us live with. Paul thinks maybe God will deliver him, and he'll be able to go on to take the gospel to the edge of the world at that time, which was Spain. Or maybe he'll lose his head in an execution. But whatever it is, Paul knows that it's his deliverance. Paul doesn't know God's will exactly. He trusts God's will implicitly. And that is the call of every gospel-bearing believer in Jesus Christ, every preacher of the gospel. There's no promise that you will not suffer. There's no promise that you may not even die at the hands of preaching the gospel. The promise is you will be delivered. God will deliver you gloriously either in that moment or in eternity. And this was what Paul clung to. This is what gave him joy to face opposition and even now to face his own death. And it is there that death is defeated. To die, verse 21, for me to live is Christ, Paul said, and to die is gain. Fill in the blanks on that statement. What, what would you fill in the blanks? For me to live is blank and to die is blank. Because of its respect and honor, privilege, recognition, money, fame, power, anything you put in the first blank, then for you to die is loss. But friend, if you say with Paul, for me to live is Christ, then to die is gain. Child of God, your mission is not happiness. Your mission is Christ. This is the secret to joy that will never fade. Joy that endures through the hardest hardship because Christ was raised from the dead. Paul had assurance that to live was more than to just preach the gospel of Christ. He would take it everywhere, but he also lived with an assurance that even if he died doing it, it was gain. Oh, for more fruitful time to be able to invest in these precious people at Philippi and Galatia and everywhere else and Ephesus, Paul said, I would love to see that. It would be a good time. In spite of all my aches and pains, in spite of all my opposition, it would still be good to have more time with you but if this is the end for me, then to God be the glory. Joseph's son is a Romanian Baptist pastor who was arrested and persecuted in Romania. He said that uh, they would oftentimes be taken into a room by the secret police. They would take out a gun and put it to his head and cock the hammer and threaten to murder him. And his response was amazing. It had to be the Holy Spirit of God. He would say, sirs, you don't understand. If you kill me, you will send me to glory. You can't threaten me with glory. San at another time told his inquisitors, if you spill my blood, I have tapes. I know you don't know what tapes are, but they're these little box type things that we would put into a cassette player. It's, it's old school, but he had tapes all over Romania of his preaching. And he said, and what's going to happen is that when you kill me, my blood will be like the water that drives people to hear. That guy that died for Christ, what did he have to say? And the gospel will spread all over Romania. They again holstered their weapons. And another time they threatened to kill him. They put a gun to his head. He said, you know what? Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Dying for the Lord is not an accident. Joseph Son said, it's not a tragedy. It's part of the job. It's part of the ministry. And it's the greatest way of preaching there is. Could you be living your life with a blank filled with something that's good but not Christ? 
This was a good day to change, erase that, and put Christ in that blank. How can Christ be the center of your life? You can trust him as your savior, first of all. The most important thing is the beginning. To put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. To say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I promise you, he will answer the prayer that says, Jesus, come into my life. And he'll come in and he will reside with you. He will save you. You will be justified by faith through his grace. And then he'll start a process of sanctifying you. And one day, like Paul, he will glorify us. Trust him. But daily trust him to defeat death and all that it threatens. At the bank I go to, I'm old school. I still go to a bank. I go to the drive-in window and I deposit checks. Not a lot, but I do it. The company that makes that air device that sucks the tube in, you know, some of you old guys know what I'm talking about, right? That company fascinates me. It's a company called Diebold. So I'm sitting there waiting for the teller. And I go, Diebold. Diebold. Die. Bold. Yeah. I had a conversation recently with a Democratic politician who called me. And he said, I know we don't hang out in the same camps and we probably don't know the same people, but I've been reading about you and your desire for racial reconciliation. And he said, that's a real thing on my heart. He was a major mayor of a major city that has a lot of hurricanes coming to it. You can probably figure it out. I said, what was it like being a mayor of your city when a hurricane swept through? I said, wasn't that hard for you? And I'll never forget this, Danny. He said, are you kidding? That's why I ran. That's why I took this job. I didn't take it for the Photoshop or the photo shoots. I didn't take it for my picture to be Photoshopped. I didn't take it for any reason except to help people in a time of crisis. And I'm getting excited listening to this guy. I think I may vote Democrat someday if he runs again. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Don't tweet that. Um, That's way too woke for me, baby. I'm just telling you. But I'm not going to let a liberal Democrat have greater passion for the troubled times we live in. This is our time. This is what we were called to. And for the glory of our God, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us fight this battle like Jesus would have us fight it. For God's glory, for the name of Jesus to be exalted, to go to the ends of the earth. Southern Baptists lose our way, and we are the largest collection of arguers and debaters on the face of the earth, and for two days we get together to create havoc and madness among one another. But then we go right back to the gospel. We preach it. We go to the ends of the earth with it, and may we not stop. And if some of us were willing to preach for selfish ambition and gain, so be it. Christ is still being preached. So let me close with this question. What's your trouble? What's your problem? Did you think about it a moment ago? An abuse? A burden? Tom Eliff talks about a curse of words. Somebody put a curse on your life and you've been trying to prove to that one 
ignoramus for years now that you're not what they said you were? What is the burden you carry? Is it a disease? Is it a heartache? Is it a limp? (laughs) Is it an asterisk by your name? What is it that is your trouble? What, What is it that chains you and binds you and seeks to threaten you and maybe ruin you? Can I just tell you this? That is your platform. And God will open your heart if you will surrender to him today. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain, it means that I surrender to this, Lord Jesus, that you would help me be sensitive to people who struggle with the same thing, that you would help me reach people, that you would help me love people. My problems make them platforms. My opposition, let it make it opportunities for your grace to be put on display, and death becomes defeated. I was at a meeting the other day, and it wasn't a meeting I wanted to be at. You probably watched it. Afterwards, a man walked up to me, and he said, I, I didn't know this because I don't read all these things. But he said, I have been very vicious toward you. I saw tears in his eyes. He said, you really disappointed me. He said, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I said, well, first, would you forgive me for disappointing you? Would you forgive me? And he said, I do. And I said, well, I do too. Whatever that thing is, would you bow your heads right now? Would you just, in your heart, whisper it to the Lord? Would you just pray with me, not out loud, but just whatever that hurt, whatever that pain, whatever that curse is, whatever that struggle you have, would you say, Lord, I feel imprisoned by this, shackled. And I want to be free. But before you free me, help me make a platform out of this for the glory of God and the gospel. Help me to accept that you are sovereign over it all. And that even the people who are unfair or harsh, Lord, I pray that they will preach Jesus. Lord, help me to preach my life Help me to preach this word in a way that glorifies you and that brings the gospel to be heard by the countless around us. Lord, we give ourselves afresh to you. We want Jesus to be the center of it all for your glory and praise forevermore. And we'll have time in your presence to look back on these days and realize how insignificant so many things were. But the one thing that mattered was Christ. You are the great game. And we worship you in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.